Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your co-host Jackie Spinell. And I'm Hannah Miera Plotkin. Let's dive right in. Welcome back everyone to episode 48. Yay! We are so excited to be here with everyone today and to hear from um, I'd say a collective good friend, I get to know her a little bit over the summer, Natalie, a little bit later, to talk about food insecurity in the pandemic. Um, but for the intro, we definitely wanted to talk a lot about the increase in hate crimes towards the Asian and Asian American and Pacific Island communities, especially revolving around the pandemic. So I'd say that this episode is pretty focused on like the reverberating effects of the pandemic that we don't necessarily see. Um, on, you know, different minorities and different communities. Um, So I'll pass it over to Jackie to tell um, y'all a little bit about our overarching sort of initiatives for the podcast coming up. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a great common theme. I think that there's a lot of, not only is there a lot of behind the scenes struggles from the pandemic, but just struggles in general. I think we have often been, we have been focusing a lot on maybe some mental or emotional struggles that all of us can kind of relate to because of the pandemic, but I think physically too. And, um, you know, food stamps and, and food insecurity has definitely risen and so has many hate crimes. And we actually have been talking about wanting to do an episode solely about hate crimes towards Asian Americans, um, specifically since the pandemic started. I know that there, we talked a little bit about before how, you know, the president, he, or sorry, former president um, used to call it like, you know, Chinese virus or, or Wuhan flu or whatever. And, and just these slight um, xenophobic remarks that I think definitely have changed or slightly altered um, society in negative ways for sure. So we, before we jump right in to get to the vegan meat or beyond meat of the, of the episode, as I like to say with Hannah here, um, we definitely, again, wanted to, we're really trying to engage people on our Instagram platform. We've been trying to do more informational posts. We have definitely been doing more polls and those are definitely, they're, they're fun and they help us, they help you all engage with us and vice versa. We additionally, as we are coming up on our one year of Dive Right anniversary, we are excited to be releasing our first newsletter, which will hopefully come more often after that. But again, please email us or go to our website and subscribe with your email there. I want everybody to stop what you're doing and I want you to grab the link for this episode and share it with five people and then text Jackie and I your favorite emoji so that we know that you listened to the podcast. Um, and I'm really excited or, you know, email us at diverightinpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm very excited to see your favorite emojis. Great plan. I love that. <laughs> All right. So today we're here to really honor the lives of the nine people that were shot in Atlanta, Georgia. Eight of them were fatalities and the victims of the series of shootings at massage parlors yesterday evening um, are, you know, as more details are coming out were women and six of them were Asian women more specifically. And this violence really comes at a time where these racist and really xenophobic attacks on Asian Americans, both verbal, which are extremely, you know, prevalent in the media and also physical, such as, um, you know, the attack that we're referring to yesterday from Atlanta, they're happening more and more across the country, making these deaths even more painful because we're looking at such a dramatic spike 
in these hate crimes. I think that I can speak from personal experience that when, you know, you see one person getting hate crimes, of course, it's, you know, an incredible tragedy and it's terrifying and horrific. But when you're seeing a chain of these, you know, nationwide and, you know, even, you know, across North America, that just really drives home the importance of just striving, you know, to disarm hate, really. And Asian American women specifically often experience sort of this intersection of both racism and sexism. And I looked up some statistics earlier that these reporting hate crime incidents often 2.3 times more, you know, likely than men. And there's an organization that's called Stop AAPI Hate, which stands for Asian American Pacific Islander Hate, that found that since the start of the pandemic, there have been over 3,800 reports of incidents or attacks on Asian Americans, which is just incredibly heartbreaking and really gut-wrenching. So today, Jackie and I are just here to reaffirm and stand with the AAPI community against violence, misogyny, bigotry, and we're really hoping that by spreading the word here, we'll be able to not only commit ourselves, but help to inspire and commit others to disarm hate and prevent violence you know, against women and especially Asian women and really just stopping the gun violence in all forms. I think that when we look at sort of the causation of this, um, of the shooting in Atlanta, it wasn't, you know, it was clearly motivated by, um, by hatred and bigotry and xenophobia, but also sort of this enabler was that we don't have enough gun reform in our system and that we need to be putting, you know, more, holding more people accountable and looking at gun ownership and sort of reforming the way in which people are able to just go to Walmart and grab a gun. And we don't want to live like this in this situation of just perpetual hatred. And it sort of seems like a very vicious cycle. So I really hope that we'll be able to sort of shed light on this, this episode and stay tuned for future episodes as well, because we definitely want to be discussing this uh, more frequently and be shedding more light on it. For sure. And I think you summed that up beautifully, Hannah. Thank you. And I think something that is really that I've been seeing a lot of is a trend that people have been showing their alliance with the Asian American community. And I think that while this is very important and it is very important for us all to to show our allyship and to stand by what we believe in and to post and to or if you can post, you don't have to post to educate yourself and, and educate and educate others, I think is the main point just to prevent ignorance that while that is very important when while when you're doing it solely to make yourself look good it is very performative and it is harmful really to our society and to yourself too because again it just it just causes ignorance and and it's it's just i want to remind you all that it's important to stand up for what you believe in whether that allyship or that you know that that topic is trending or not so that's really just something i wanted to emphasize yeah, so I think that Jackie brings up such an interesting point here, and it's frustrating to see how people will only post about xenophobia when it's trending, and xenophobia isn't a trend. It's something that's been happening for so many years, and we sort of want to get behind that and just reaffirm ourselves and commit ourselves to not being performative because it sometimes does see, seem really performative, and so something that I want to try and do specifically is, you know, not just posting about hate crimes towards the AAPI community, you know, solely when they happen, but really just taking a stand in general. And I think that that goes for so many other sort of situations and um, marginalized communities as well. So just making sure that we're doing that would be 
um, would be awesome. And just a reminder that AAPI stands for the Asian American Pacific Islander community. So it's sort of all encompassing more of the um, East Asian, but also, you know, different backgrounds and cultures as well. Uh, so just segueing into our main, uh, not main topic for this week, but another thing that we wanted to discuss, um, we are bringing on Natalie, who is Jackie's good friend and someone that I met over the summer through an internship with the Jewish Theological Seminary and Repair the World, which we'll talk more about. Um, we wanted to sort of define our terms for what Natalie will be discussing. So Natalie is coming on to teach us and to talk a little bit about food insecurity in the pandemic and the ways in which we can help even from afar and even from virtually. So I'll start off by defining our first term. Uh, the first term is a food desert. And this is an urban area in which it's difficult to buy affordable or good quality fresh food. Um, and a lot of times it's disproportionately uh, food deserts occur in places um, of impoverished communities or also in lands in which indigenous people have historically lived in. And so it's just really um, disproportionately affecting communities other, you know, more than others. And again, it just sort of plays into this vicious cycle of, um, of you know, not having access to quality food and then not being able to, you know, spend your money on it, et cetera, et cetera. So Jackie will give us the next definition. Yeah, thank you for that, Hannah. I actually didn't know much about much much about the food de food food deserts in general. So thank you for for clarifying that. So the next definition I wanted to touch on is SNAP S N A P benefits or WIC benefits W I C. So the definition the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, is the largest federal nutrition assistance program that provides benefits to eligible low-income individuals and families via an electronic benefits transfer card. This card can be used like a debit card to purchase eligible food in authorized retail food stores. And then WIC benefits, uh, which stands for women, infant, and children, provides nu nutrition education, breastfeeding education and support, supplemental high nutritious foods such as cereal, eggs, milk, whole grain foods, fruits, fruits and veg vegetables, and iron fortified inf infant formula, and referral to prenatal and pediatric health care, and other maternal and child health and human services. So these are very important, and I these are actually very common. I think, especially living in New York City, I definitely see a lot of this, and I actually, I think that this is around much more than we even than we even notice and probably in our right right in our very eyes for sure it's it's su it's super interesting to see how um how many people actually use you know snap benefits and wic benefits um but how it's sort of still a taboo and stigmatized topic so we're just here to sort of break down that barrier. And actually, the reason why food stamps was renamed to SNAP or SNAP benefits is because of the stigma that the word food stamps kind of held. And also because food stamps just had this negative connotation, um, you know, of not being able to provide a healthy and, you know, self-sufficiency sort of, you know, meals and was rather just like a quick fix. But, you know, the rebranding, to SNAP benefits also brought upon this like new core mission of, I'll read directly from their website, offering food assistance and nutrition education 
their participants as they transition to a healthier lifestyle and self-sufficiency, as the agency had said. So it's just really interesting to see how um, the government is sort of trying to, and this all happened in 2018, um, but was not really initiated by Trump. It was sort of just initiated by um, the Agriculture Department, I believe. Uh, so it's just interesting to see, you know, the direction that our country is moving. And I hope that uh, these benefits will become less stigmatized so that people can get better access to them and so that they'll become more accessible and people won't be afraid to, you know, be able to sign up for the program. So it's definitely really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for highlighting that. And I think there definitely is some sort of negative connotation to food stamps. I actually didn't realize that they changed the name, though, until I think until you told me recently, Hannah. So and so I'm very excited about this interview. I hope you all enjoy. Natalie is very smart, knowledgeable, and she is honestly a great friend of mine. So enjoy the interview. Hi, Natalie. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here. So would you mind introducing yourself, maybe telling us a little bit about your age, your grade, maybe where you live, or how you know Jackie and, and I, and then talk a little bit about why you're passionate or interested in learning more about the food insecurity sort of sweeping our nation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Natalie. I live in New York City. I've lived in New York City my entire life, um, and I go to school with Jackie. We actually met through the field hockey team um, when she was a freshman and I was a sophomore. I know Hannah because we did actually a summer program together um, with Repair the World. Um, so it was just funny and th that they both knew each other and then I had known both of them through different things. And I, I got in involved in food insecurity and just kind of really am interested in it or want to be helpful and kind of help any way I can because it just kind of naturally would come into a lot of conversations about um, people in need and um, areas in the world where there there is a lot of need um, and so I just kind of naturally learned about it and through a, a lot of the Jewish programs I've done um, that's been a big conversation um, and, and how we can help as Jews um, for the people that are less fortunate than we are. Um, and so, yeah, I think it just has come up naturally for me. And it, it's, it's definitely something um, that I'm, I'm very passionate about um, looking at and kind of talking about and, and, and being an advocate for. Um, and I'm, I'm just really happy to be here. I'm honored to be that you guys asked me to be on this podcast. I think you guys are doing amazing work with it. Um, and I'm just a big fan. Thank you. And again, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation. And I know you two are kind of a very big um, advocates for this topic. And I'm very passionate about this topic as well. I think that this is a great opportunity for us all to learn us all to also educate the listeners. So I'm very excited. Um, so can you please talk a little bit about the food crisis going on in our society and how it's especially risen since the pandemic? Um, yeah, so I think it's, I think it kind of is pretty straightforward in terms of this idea that um, food is expensive and there's people that don't have enough money to um, 
kind of cover everything their family needs. So if you have, if your family has um, kind of a medical issue, um, they will put like you're going to obviously want to put that first. Or if you need to to kind of if you need to pay for where you're going to sleep that night um, and cover that cost, you're going to put that first. And sometimes food gets put at the back burner of everything. Um, and I just think that um, some sometimes it's hard to you know be able to afford food and just kind of find good nutritious food. That's a really big thing. I think it's easy sometimes because um, more healthy food is a lot more expensive. What tends to happen is you just take whatever food you can get. Um, and so sometimes that, that's unhealthy food or, or fast food or whatever it might be. And so that's another issue. Um, and I think kind of talking about um, COVID and how that has affected everything, I think a big thing is like everyone um, has been really hit hard financially. And so when um, it was already hard for many, many people to afford um, food um, and healthy food. Um, now it's even harder because many have lost jobs or many um, have lost family members or, you know, there's a million different circumstances that make it harder. And I think another thing people don't think about is this idea that food pantries can accommodate all those people. So because there's more of a need, they also need to have more staff there and because um, staff have to be safe and they have to have social distancing the same way everything else does that makes it really hard for them to be able to accommodate all the people in need um, as well as the fact that you know people are trying to be safe and going to a homeless shelter may be hard especially if they have underlying conditions or they may be older so um, kind of finding um, a kind of a way to get food that isn't going to a homeless shelter and interacting with a lot of people is hard as well. So people um, have, there's kind of been a barrier there as well. You bring up so many points that are so integral to this discussion. And it's really interesting to see how it's not just about, you know, having access to food or being able to sign up for uh, the SNAP benefits, but there's sort of this hierarchy of, you know, being able to distribute this food. We're looking at, are the employees safe? Are the employees able to social distance? Does that mean that there's less employees that are able to uh, sort of pack bags for people, et cetera, et cetera. And you can sort of go back and like, look at this sort of uh, hierarchy and see how, you know, the pandemic sort of affects, you know, every level of this pyramid. So you're not really able to get your basic, you know, functions of the of the food pantry running and op in and operating safely. So then you're not really able to distribute that food. Um, and it's sort of just this cycle. And it's really interesting how you also brought up nutritious food, because I think when I was volunteering um, at the food bank in eighth grade with my class, we would always, you know, make jokes about how slimy the carrots were um, or things like that, because the food was sort of um, like leftovers from restaurants that restaurants were just going to throw out. So it's really frustrating to see that, um, you know, healthy and quality food aren't really, you know, very accessible. And with this, um, we described in our intro to this podcast, the definition of what a food desert is. Um, but can you speak more to sort of a food desert in general and what we can be doing to sort of combat this issue? Um, yeah. Um, if I am correct, I believe a food desert is kind of um, 
just an area where there isn't access to food or if there is it it just kind of isn't plentiful or like I was saying before it's not healthy food or sufficient for um, a family and to kind of live healthy productive lives and and there's kind of areas where they don't have access um, to places to get food and, and also affordable food as well they you know you're you're kind of trapped in this place where you can't get food you can't um, afford food and you're kind of in the cycle so I think that a big thing to be was to kind of find these places and establish what where these food deserts are and provide more for the people in them or create um, you know create places where they can get food or um, offer transportation or um, kind of deliver them or kind of look out for, I think the main thing is to look out for these people in these places because you'll have places where there's a lot of places to get food. Um, and then you have places where there's hardly any place. So I think that, you know, finding kind of spreading, spreading it out and just looking out for those people and determining um, where the people are in the food desert and what you can do for them and acknowledging what, what you guys have done in this podcast, which is acknowledging that what food deserts are, because I think that isn't talked about a lot. And I think especially coming from New York City, where there's constantly places for food, I think when people think of food insecurity, they're, they're not really thinking about this idea that they're, that they're not going to have a place to go for food because, you know, they think, oh, it's a you know, a city, there's a lot of places to go to, but there's this other factor of food insecurity where sometimes there, there aren't these places and sometimes less po- um, populated areas. For sure. And you bring up such a great point. I think also living in New York City, I think living on the Upper West Side, I don't see a lot of this food desert issue. But I think as you go to different neighborhoods, as you go into different boroughs or or higher up into maybe Harlem or, or, or even... Washington Heights, just just different neighborhoods. I think you can definitely see this, um, a big increase in maybe more bodegas, for example, that don't have um, the fresh foods, um, as opposed to, you know, fresh supermarkets that are always replenishing these goods um, that are very important. And I think that that is a kind of a ripple effect of not having these not having these nutrients and then other other issues like diabetes or or childhood obesity or or obesity in general and different things like that and i think that that in 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 some ways and i think that that's just definitely an issue that that's very prevalent and in our society so again in the in the introduction to the this interview we talked a little bit about um snap benefits but can you talk a little bit about why they're so important and um, I guess just like the overall kind of your your thoughts towards that. I think it's really important. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about SNAP, SNAP benefits and kind of government funded food resources. Um, I think, first of all, this is an opportunity for people that are in a situation where they're struggling to make ends meet have a fallback or security where they feel like they're being looked out for. And I think that is a really key thing that people see and the government sees that they're struggling and they're offering an opportunity for them to be supported. Um, So I think that is super important. And I just think, I think there's kind of this misconception that there's, there's something wrong with with being on this or there's something um, that 
people aren't aware that they, they have the opportunity to have this. And so I think it's really important to um, advocate for this and to make people aware that they have the chance to get these benefits. I think that at the end of the day, there's all these kind of politics involved in it. And, you know, there's kind of questions about why, why shouldn't exist or why should like, like, why isn't it more prevalent or whatever it may be. But I think the main thing is if someone is in need, it is so important to make them feel like they have a support system and they have something to fall back on and they have something that that kind of shows how important food and nutritious food is because it is completely so essential in your life and and just affects how every everything runs in your life. I agree and I think what's really frustrating is that it's sort of the government and the government's decision to not necessarily fund these uh, sort of support systems as much as um, as much as they should be funded for the sole purpose of it's very like economical and it's very political. Um, and Jackie and I talk all about topics that shouldn't be politicized but have become. And it's incredibly frustrating to see how this basic need of you know access to food and you know for another example access to healthcare you know, have become so hotly debated when they really shouldn't be. And it's sort of just like a basic need. Like, um, I don't know if you guys learned about different um, uh, theories of motivation, but there's this um, hierarchy called Maslow's hierarchy. Um, And the bottom base of the pyramid says that you need your like fundamental needs, such as like sleep and food and water and able to sort of like achieve all the other blocks of the pyramid, ending up with self-actualization, which is like, your full like potential. Um, and there's so many quotes that I just wanted to circle back to. My favorite Judaism, uh, there's so many quotes from the Tanakh that sort of like support this. And so it's just, it, it's really frustrating to see. Um, so I spoke briefly about this, but can you elaborate more on how having a nourishing or healthy meal can affect other parts of your life other than you know just your health, like how it can affect your performance at school or at work, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. I think just kind of taking a step back, I think, just think, I think everyone can think of an example in their life where being hungry has affected their day. So for example, when I have a class, the period before lunch, I'm kind of sitting there checking the clock every five minutes, trying to get through that class. I'm not really paying attention as best as I normally would be. And I'm just kind of waiting for for my meal to come because I'm, you know, I'm thinking about that. That's all I can think about because I'm hungry. And so, and that's even after I've ate breakfast or maybe even a snack. So you can imagine if someone doesn't have um, a meal all day and they're waiting for a meal a meal throughout throughout school, they're going to be focused on that instead of instead of what the teacher's saying or instead of their studies or what whatever is at hand in front of them. All they're going to be thinking about is food. And I think the other term that's kind of funny that I like, and I think it also comes up a lot in our lives is the term hangry. Um, And I think like my family will often say, oh, he's hangry or something. We need to feed him before we can do this because, you know, they're being moody because, because they haven't eaten yet today. And so I think that that's a big part. It affects your mood. It affects how how productive you are and how you you treat others because you might 
need that extra fuel to get you started or to get your brain working or to be thinking about how do I want to treat this person or whatever, whatever it may be. And so I think that because it's an essential thing and because it is literally how our body functions and how we get energy, um, it, without it, that's what you're, you're thinking about. You're thinking about, I need that energy and, and how am I going to get it? And you're not thinking about what's at hand and how am I treating others and the more important parts of your life and what you should be thinking about. Another thing that I, I'm really into and I'm a strong advocate for is just, you know, sports and um, kind of being active um, and just, you know, being athletic and just, you know, getting involved in anything that that involves. And so a big part of that is having a meal. So you're able to run and you're able to exercise and all of that. And if you're not able to do that, you can't take part in those things because you're going to be so tired and you're going to, you're going to, you're just going to crash. For sure. You bring up such a great topic and, and something that I can definitely relate to. Um, I definitely, I definitely find it hard to focus, you know, when I'm hungry and I know we're both very, we do pretty much the same sports. So I can definitely relate to that, you know, having, having a nourishing snack or meal before and after and being able to focus is something that really helps, you know, it, it, it's, it's, again, it's one of these ripple effects. It helps you in school, which will then help you later in life. You develop good habits. And I think that all of those will only help you later and, and will benefit you um, in the present as well. So I'm curious, and also just to kind of provide a nice first step where, where, where everybody can, can, can start advocating for this issue, where have you specifically taken action to fight against food insecurity? Um, I think what you guys are doing is first of all, really amazing. Um, and I think with any issue, especially this one, there's a lot of stigma around it or a lot of misconceptions. So just having a conversation, talking about it um, is super important. And like I said before, just take out like the politics about it or take out um, just anything and anything that's not about the person. The, just, I think, don't take like the humanity out of the situation um, and think about, you know, the people that are hungry and need and how, how you feel for the, when you're hungry, like what we were just talking about, like anyone can have empathy for being hungry. Cause, cause while you may not have been necessarily starving, you have feelings where you're waiting for lunch and you're hungry. And so, you know what it feels like even just to wait a couple hours and you're super hungry. So if you can imagine how long some you have to wait for food and how hard that might be, there's just so many places, especially now in the pandemic, that are in need that need volunteers, um, food pantries, um, and soup kitchens, all of that that you can try to volunteer at um, or just get involved with. I know something I did and, and Hannah did as well with our program that I didn't really realize how big of a necessity there was for was calling people because the thing about programs like the SNAP program is people don't know that they can they have these benefits. And so to be able to, to call people up and, and let them know, like let them know that they might be eligible for it and that these are resources, that could be a big game changer because I think, you know, people think, oh, if you're in need, you're just going to 
go right and, and find something and do something about it. But I think we all know that like if we have an email or a call or something that we're supposed to do, sometimes it gets lost and life gets busy and there's a million things to do. So what happens is, is, is sometimes you're so busy with all your jobs and your kids, et cetera, whatever it may be, and finding ways that can can help you and and making those calls and figuring it out and it, it can be hard and it can it, it can take a lot of time and so I think sometimes that gets pushed to the back burner and it, it can also be they could feel like it's maybe a little bit humiliating or it's a little bit um kind of going against what you know their confidence or whatever it may be to kind of have to call up and say I need help and how can I get it and am I eligible for that I think that's a really hard thing to so having someone reach out to them and make life so much easier and say, here are the resources, you may be eligible and kind of put it out for them um, and kind of just straight up say, these are, these are ways that you may be eligible for help. I think that is a really big thing. So kind of finding ways to make calls, to let people know. I know Hannah and I did it with Hunger Free America and they're, it's really easy to make calls with them. They have a lot of, um, different volunteer days that you can get involved with. Definitely, 100%. And there's definitely a need and there's definitely people who are looking for more volunteers. Um, so Jackie and I are definitely going to be linking some resources um, below. Um, all right, so we're just going to ask uh, one sort of final question to sort of wrap us up. And this is sort of like, what advice do you have for people interested in taking action to fight this issue? So less of the like, how do you take action? And more of the like, is there some way to prepare yourself? Is this like mentally demeaning or exhausting? Like how, how do we go about um, like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm no way, shape or form an expert on this, but from my experience, I think, like I said before, having empathy is a big thing and just keeping an open mind because at the end of the day, I think what, what people find in, in these situations and why it can be hard is because people have, people are making it about them and kind of fulfilling whatever it is, like a checkbox or a um, this idea, okay, I'm helping out others, like, this is so great of me to be doing this, but it's not about you, it's about those you're helping, and don't be, like, be there for them, be present for them, and listen to them, and, and, and listen to what they need, and also understand that sometimes you're not going to get the, the response you want, or you're not going to see immediate action from that phone call you made or from that day at, that you volunteered at the food pantry. You're not going to see that because it's, you know, it's, it's just a couple hours of your time and it's a huge issue, but little by little and, and kind of making effort and learning, that's a big step and that's a big deal. So just kind of sticking with that and just understanding that this is a really big issue. There's so many people affected by this. And I think, I think people um, shouldn't, you know, no one should feel guilty that they're in a, a, a position of privilege and where they don't have to worry about having food on the table at the end of the day. But I, I do think that people should use their privilege um, as a 
as a kind of a jumping off point to see, okay, I, I do have an opportunity for a meal. Who does it and how can I help them um, get that? And how can I, I know how important a meal is. And so, you know, what can I do for others? And, and just kind of knowing the importance of what a meal is. I think something that frustrates me a lot of, is seeing people waste food. And that's, and that's something hard because it shows that they're not thinking about others and the value of food and, and just take a little bit of food at a time and then come back for seconds or whatever it may be. My family always jokes that we like to be a part of the clean plate club. And I, I don't know if I should say this in the podcast because I don't want anyone to steal my idea, but if I ever started a restaurant one day, I would want to call it clean plate club because I think that that's such an important idea that, you know, in a place of privilege, you should have gratitude for that, but then use it, um, think about others, have empathy. So what I'll leave it with is that um, it's, a, it's a human issue. It's a, everyone has needs, everyone has necessities to run, to, to run and to be able to be productive and to live their life fulfilled and happy. And it's not about, you know, the the complications of that or whatever it may be or whatever the stigmas around it. It's at the end of the day, making sure people have what they need um, and making sure you're, you're understanding um, those that are in need and finding ways to help them and to look out for them and to see them. I think, I think you really did. You worded that really beautifully. And I, I think that you, I think that exact point of, you know, recognizing privilege, but also also using that to help others is definitely a point that is very important when doing activism in any sort, not just um, fighting food insecurity, while it is very important um, in that as well. The point about not wasting food is very important. And I really do try to do that. I think that's something that we can all try to do, um, especially this week. I think that could be a challenge for all of us. So Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. I certainly learned a lot. I hope the listeners learned a lot. And I, I'm so, again, I'm just so thankful that you could, that you could be with us here today. Thank you so much for having me again. This was so fun. Um, and I'm, I'm just, um grateful that you asked me to come on and to be with you guys again. Thank you so much, Natalie, for taking the time to speak with us and just talk about your own experiences and how you really are planning on taking action steps against food insecurity um, in our society. So with that, Jackie and I, we just wanted to take a minute to sort of reflect on um speaking with Natalie and just you know our thoughts on the food insecurity sort of virus that's sort of sweeping the nation I think was my analogy um and we just wanted to take a minute to discuss that so I think that's something that's really interesting that you know Natalie really emphasized is that access to food and access to healthy and nutritious food is you know there's a world of difference in between that and it's really not fair to uh, be giving people who need SNAP benefits or WIC benefits or relying on shelters and um, and food distribution centers, it's not fair to be calling them second-class citizens and not deserving um, of quality food. Um, and we will talk about our own experiences um, in just a few minutes, but it's just really unfair to see how some of these food shelters are doing all that they can, but all that they can is also 
you know, not really enough just because how underfunded a lot of these organizations are and how they're just not equipped to be handling uh, the amount of people that, uh, that really need to be, um, you know, assisted, especially during pandemic times. And I know that Jackie has some statistics uh, to go over, so I'll pass it off to her. Yeah, I, I again, I just wanted to say thank you to Natalie. I definitely learned a lot and I definitely I, I was able to put everything into perspective a little bit. And really, you know, I think it's important to realize, you know, how how lucky we are to get food um, whenever we want um, and nutrition, nutritious food at that. And that really does help us in, you know, like she said, sports, school, and that all will will help bring good habits for later in life and just so many good resources. And there are also so many ways to help. So I think it could be great if we hosted maybe uh, like a kind of like a, a calling for um, a kind of like what we did um, to phone bank for Biden, but sort of like food banking and, and call up and let people know about their 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 WIC or SNAP benefits. I think that that could be definitely a beneficial. So we'll keep you all posted from the Instagram. But I did want to list a couple uh, statistics to kind of emphasize really how big of an issue this is. So 54 million people in America face food insecurity during the pandemic. And so Feeding America, the largest hunger relief organization in the United States, estimates that 17 million people in the country became food insecure because of the pandemic. So that, that was what, what brought the total to more than 54 million and including 18 million children, 18 million children, that is, that is just devastating. And before COVID-19, food insecurity was at its lowest since the Great Recession, um, but it, has, it still impacted 37 million people, which is, which is um, definitely significant. So this definitely, I, I hope that this really does show that this is such a big issue and something that definitely needs, we need to bring to our, bring to our attention. I completely agree. And thank you for bringing up those statistics. I think that a lot of times without having access to proper numbers um, from various food distribution sites, it can be really, you know, frustrating uh, since a lot of these places that like I was saying that Jack, that um, Natalie and I were phone banking, they didn't necessarily have access to internet or to, you know, certain um amenities to be able to record like how many people were coming in daily. So as much as I think statistics are really important, we also have to remember that statistics aren't always accurate just for the reason that people don't necessarily have access to be taking accurate, uh, you know, totals of who's coming in each day. Uh, but this is a really good estimate, the one that uh, Jackie brought up. Uh, so I did want to sort of circle us back to talking about our own experiences. Um, so I think a lot of Jewish day schools and synagogues specifically uh, do a lot of outreach within the uh, Jewish food bank kind of world. I know that my synagogue does a food drive every you know, few months for the local Jewish kosher food bank, which is very small and underfunded. Um, and so I used to go and volunteer there and my dad volunteers there every Sunday morning. Um, especially during the pandemic, he's been uh, going more often, which is really great to see. And I think it's really empowering to sort of see how, um, you know, the work that you're putting in is actually being put to use. Because with the food bank, you sort of volunteer and go through this whole process of bagging food and then being able to distribute it 
and, you know, see smiles on people's faces. So it's definitely, you know, I think that I, I don't want to be playing into like the white savior complex because I don't think that uh, race or ethnicity really matter here, but it is really empowering to be able to, you know, phone bank and then hear people be, you know, be so appreciative on the phone or, you know, volunteer with my friends um, and, you know, just see that same sort of happiness and gratitude reciprocated as well. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I also, I definitely also have my own experiences in this. I always, with my synagogue, uh, we used to um, make, make dinners for, it was like a homeless shelter for women. So we would make dinners. And I, I did that uh, definitely a handful of times when I was much younger. And then sometimes we would, it's not exactly the same thing, but we would make dinners and then deliver them to um, older people, which, you know, I think still getting uh, being able to get your food um, is definitely difficult. So we would give them food. And then also um, there is at a nearby church, there is a food pantry that we've gone to um, donate and tour multiple times. And, and I encourage you all, um, not during the pandemic, but or during the pandemic, I know Natalie listed some ways to get involved, but again, the, these places are often understaffed or underfunded, so um, just helping out there. And then when I was in eighth grade, I got the amazing opportunity to go, I think it was somewhere in Harlem or just upper, upper Manhattan. Um, we, a group of us, went to go volunteer at where they were give where people who had um, SNAP benefits would come in and get their weekly or monthly supply of um, food. And when I heard that this was just their weekly or monthly supply, I was, I was just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it because of how many people were coming in that day. And we were just there for a couple hours, but there were so many people and they were all so nice. And I remember this, a lot of them would get like one, one chicken for like a family of eight and maybe a couple sides. And while the food was very healthy, um, they really had to look at quantity. Like maybe they weren't able to get um, red meat and they had to get chicken just because there was more chicken and they needed to feed more people. So I really was able to, again, put that into perspective and realize how fortunate I am to have, you know, I can, I can choose what type of meat I want. I can choose if I want meat, I can choose if I don't want meat, I can choose if I want greens or starches or whatever I want. And I think that, you know, we really do have to realize our privilege, but exactly what Natalie said, we don't need to feel guilty for our privilege, but we need to use that to help others. So I think that that's definitely a point that, that we are trying to drive home. And I would also be very interested in phone banking yet once again, and I encourage you all to, um, you know, help, help out, help us out with that um, soon. I definitely agree with that point where you were saying that we shouldn't necessarily, you know, be shamed or shameful of the privilege that we do hold for being able to eat, you know, three healthy meals a day, but rather, you know, we should sort of use that as a leverage point to become passionate and to really create a change and just a realm, um, just a realm of change um, and just use this as sort of a jumping off point for us. And I definitely think that with uh, you know, having this podcast platform, it's amazing to be able to sort of speak about so many different issues. And we're definitely going to be linking resources in the down bar below or in the description below. Um, and we really hope that we'll be able to host and hold um, a phone banking session in the near future. So stay tuned. 
potentially in our newsletter, um, and we're excited to connect with you on that. Um, I just wanted to wrap up by sort of harping on the fact that um, just circling us back to the beginning that we need to be stopping Asian hate and we need to be learning and educating ourselves on the um, Asian American Pacific Islander community and specifically the increase in hate crimes that are just so fueled by Asian racism and xenophobia. So we're definitely also gonna be linking um, a lot of resources in the descriptions below. And I hope that Jackie and I will be able to do a more in-depth episode on this very shortly. If you're interested in being featured on this episode, please, please, please get in contact with us, whether that be via our email or Instagram or just texting one of us. We would love to be able to speak with you. Um, and I hope that by sh sort of shedding some light on this situation that we're able to not only educate ourselves, because this is such a um, sort of an under exposed idea, but also work to educate others. So I'd appreciate uh, some feedback as well. That's it for this week's episode of Dive Right In with Jackie and Hannah. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Instagram at Dive Right In Podcast, as well as our website, www.diverightinpodcast.weebly.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can leave any additional feedback at diverightinpodcast at gmail.com. And you just... Go right in.